Greetings and welcome to our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins, and I greatly appreciate you have joined us today. Throughout this year of 2022, God has led me to emphasize unity among the Church of Jesus Christ. As written in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, especially in these last days in which we live, I believe God is calling His church and His bride to come together as one in Christ. And in doing so, it really displays the beauty of what we are all to be and how His church and His kingdom will grow and reach our world today. So as we go through the Word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and give you wisdom and revelation as to how we are called to be His unified church and then sent out to be witnesses of His Word, His love, and His presence. I pray that you will be blessed by our podcast and that you will be edified and enriched in God's Word today. So may God bless you all. that a number of people in the church were praying for Billy, uh, his remaining funds as he prepares. Next Sunday will be his uh, last Sunday before he goes on his outreach with the Titus ministry. Uh, He needed to raise uh, money up until the last moment uh, on Friday. Uh, It was obviously, as always, for a lot of YWAMers, it's kind of like the 11th hour um, that God provided for him. Uh, the remaining funds for that, so praise God for that. He'll be going uh, on the 11th, so the 11th is coming soon. Next Sunday will be his uh, last Sunday until about Christmas time. Uh, we also want to mention David Gambrell. Uh, he's in Wyoming at Cowboys with a Mission, uh, and so uh, if you'd like to contribute to him, he still has a little bit of funds as well to raise for his outreach, which will be going, um, I think, in, a, in November probably, right? About November they, they head out on their outreach. So, oh, I'm totally wrong. December he'll be going. So he's in the, he's in the lecture phase, and it's really good. Um, today we're going to be... Going to chapter 15, we're, we're coming to a close of 1 Corinthians, uh, the letter we've been reading throughout this year. Last week, I tackled a very uh, interesting chapter, chapter 14, which is on uh, the baptismal Holy Spirit of tongues and prophecy, and there's a few less people here today, so I might have ran them off. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's always one of those things that... You know, pastors sometimes shy away from. I don't shy away from it. I actually love it. Um, but maybe I, maybe a few people uh, are not here because of that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not. But today we're going to uh, be talking about chapter 15 and see an, a very important message about our present faith um, and also our future hope. It is the good news. Uh, that we must continue to share and tell um, the world of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is very important to talk about. Um, So beginning this chapter, Paul gives a definition and proof or validation of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So let's read this together through the, uh, I'm going to stop today at the 11th verse. I'm not going to try to go through this whole chapter. There's a lot today. But if we would, just look at this first portion, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Again, he's saying, remind you. I want to talk about something really important that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. You might want to underline that part, just that first importance, because it really is important. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
And then he appeared to James, and then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Um, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and the grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. Let's stop there today. Lord God, we thank you for this is of first importance. As Paul mentioned, the gospel message of Jesus is so important for us to know it, to believe it, to receive it, and to tell about it. Lord God, that we would be reminded of this again But Lord, maybe we just know your resurrection power that is alive today and lives within us. That you are the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in it, as you said, will never die. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we have read through most of this letter to the church in Corinth, we found out that this church was a bit messy. A lot of churches are a little bit messy. Uh, we're all a little bit of a mess. But uh, to say the least, Paul, this church was, was a mess, and Paul's letter was to bring uh, some correction on some things, some teaching, you may say a little bit of rebuking at times. But most of all, he was trying to teach them about unity. And that's really the theme that God gave me for this year was to focus on unity. And I love, I love that our churches are gathering together in unity. It just, it's such a beautiful picture of the the church coming together in our valley. Um, It's what God wants for all of us. And so there is a lot of things happening in this church. There's carnality, a lot of worldly practices still taken into the church. They were still active in. Uh, There was division in this church. Uh, There was also misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. Uh, Then there were some in the church that were declaring that there was no resurrection from the dead. And so he was talking about this resurrection from the dead. This is what this whole uh, portion of his letter was about in chapter 15. Then there's, there was these people that were declaring it, and they could have been influenced uh, from a Greek background that didn't believe in resurrection, or uh, if you know anything about the Sadducees, they didn't believe in life after death either. They didn't believe in resurrection, and so there could be a little bit of that influence as well in their lives. So now Paul begins to tackle this final issue on the resurrection of Jesus, and he tells them this is the very heart of the gospel message. This is the very heart of what we all believe and should promote and talk about. This is of first importance, he said. Paul then starts off by reminding them in verses 3 and 4, he describes the content of the gospel and describes how the gospel saves us. Um, And not only by the gospel, it's only by the gospel of Jesus And his death and resurrection that we are saved. And is the only way we can be saved. And by belief, by our own repentance, by turning from our sinful ways and receiving this gift of salvation. Because it is a gift that he offers to us. He offers a free gift if we are to receive it. Much like I spoke last week on on spiritual gifts and I spoke about tongues, spiritual gifts are a gift that you can receive or not want it. Spiritual gifts, unlike salvation, are not required for salvation. Uh, They are a gift if we want it or not. Salvation is also a gift we must receive, but without believing or receiving this gift, we cannot be saved. And so... What we, that's what we base really everything upon. Um, and Jesus is my salvation. And I hope he is yours too. That he is your salvation. That you, you recognize that. You know that. You need that. And he is on the rock on which I must stand. Um, and nothing else. Because there's no other way to salvation except through him. I didn't make that up. 
Um, you know, a lot of people in different religions and say, well, what's wrong with my religion or what's wrong with that religion? And I said, well, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So that is really important for us to know. The very first part of this message today is that the gospel is what I stand upon. He is the rock. He is the rock of ages. He is the one we must base everything upon is on Jesus. The word gospel means what? Yes. It is the best news that we could ever talk about. It is good news. And in reality, I want to say that the gospel of Jesus is about the things that Paul just, we just read about that we'll talk about individually here in a moment. Um, and it's the best news that we can ever have. Now, the gospel, I will say, must encompass not only the, the about Jesus, but it actually must be even more than that. It actually must be that I believe the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. The gospel doesn't just start with the birth of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. The gospel started that I believe that God created this universe. He created mankind. That mankind, both Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden and sin entered and death entered into the world. And because of that, God set into motion immediately a plan of salvation, if you will. John, or Genesis 3.15, read that. Just talks about, you know, I'll put enmity between the woman and, and, and so he will crush the, the serpent's head. You know, all of that really is a portrayal that one day there would be a Messiah that would come and put um, to an end the enemy's uh, reign of death, if you will. And so what, what it means is that I believe that um, man sinned. Sin entered the world. And then he also set into motion, God put into the law, and then he gave the prophets to foretell of the coming of the one uh, that would be the, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And so we know that from all of the prophets, they prophesied, and Jesus fulfilled all of those. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He was of the lineage of David. And then we also celebrate that he was born in, in Bethlehem, that he was of the lineage of David, that he fulfilled every single prophecy ever spoken about him, and that he lived a sinless life. And then he did go to the cross for you and for me. He died, was buried, um, and was raised from the dead. That is the entirety of the gospel. And then he's also ascended into heaven. He's coming back again someday. That is rather the entirety of the gospel. Paul's mentioning the gospel of Jesus in this, and it's good news. And most of the time when you read the news in our world today, it's not good news, right? It's not good news. Uh, it's mostly bad news. You get up in the morning, read the bad news, and you hear the bad news all day, and you come home and you watch or hear more bad news, and that's all we talk about is bad news. Well, we do have good news for you today. <laughs> Jesus has been resurrected and that he has resurrected me. He's resurrected you who believe because he is the resurrection and the life and he who believes in him will never die. Amen, amen, right. <laughs> that is what I believe and I hope you do too. Paul emphasized that he who he received, what he received he was passing on to them. This is the very, he said, I am the least of the apostles. I was the worst of them all. I don't even know why I'm called an apostle, but I received this. I received this from God. And he's passing on to them as first importance. And that's why we need to, again, highlight that because this is important. Absolute most important thing that we could ever talk about, the love and the salvation of our God. And so they needed to believe it as well. They needed to receive it, and they needed to stand upon it. Now, Paul wrote this in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. 
He said this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, and talking about receiving, you heard it from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. So for the most part, the, the Corinthian church had received the gospel message, they had, and they were doing well at taking a stand for the gospel, despite all their problems with carnality and lack of understanding and divisions and immorality and lack of love and weird spirituality and stuff. Um, they stood for the gospel. They were standing on that for the most part, which is good. And we have to give them a little credit in taking that stand, but Paul was affirming them to continue. And, and what he means, not only take a stand or another translations that may say holding fast i'm never going to give up on this i'm holding fast to this um, i'm holding on to this message and this is the message that he was preaching to them unlike other letters that he wrote to the galatians the galatian church what happened to them they started drifting back into some of their old patterns and their belief patterns of trying to do a bunch of uh, works, if you will, getting into um, all these things. And, and Paul was addressing them, if you read that letter, you foolish relations, who has bewitched you? Did you go back into these things again? Circumcision, and it's all about that, and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, no, it's not. He said this in 1 Corinthians, or Galatians 1, Second, six and seven, he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's really no different than today. There's still different perversions of the gospel, different twisting of the gospel trying to get us to believe things that aren't really the gospel at all, as Paul was saying. That we get caught up into doing things to earn God's approval, to earn God's love, or to earn your way to heaven. That is not the gospel. There are many false teachings in our world that have what they call their gospel. I've talked to different people of different religions, and they say, you know, I have, this is our gospel. And I'm like, I want to say what Paul said. It's really no gospel at all. You know, but... It isn't, you know, if, if we believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. I have spoken, I've debated with so many different peoples of different faith over the years uh, that have these different faith backgrounds, and there may be even some good things about all of them. You're just like, you know, that sounds nice. That sounds nice. Almost every religion has a um, golden rule. You know, so to speak, there's always some good things that sound enticing. But also, what does it say about Satan? He comes as an angel of light. You know, <laughs> he's, he's not just going to say, come worship me and, and bow down and sacrifice to me as in devil worship. But he does subtle things that he twists the truth. And, and that's often how people are deceived. It's very subtly. Um, and this is why a lot of people honestly don't like Christianity. They don't like it because the Christian faith is based on, holds fast to salvation and no other but Jesus Christ and him alone. It's the really the immovable, unshakable truth that we must all agree upon. Though I have many friends of different church denominations, we all agree on the foundation of our faith. And doctrine that this is the gospel message. Jesus Christ, he lived that sinless life. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. And he appeared to many before he, he ascended into heaven. Now holding fast implies that, we're, um, that there were some, if you will, that were detaching from the gospel. Drifting away, whatever you want to call it. They were they were falling away uh, because they were influenced by other sources or other belief systems um, that were creeping in. All the more reason Paul emphasized that they hold fast, that they do not waver from this. 
If they didn't hold fast, they may slip up. You may fall away. And this is why, you know, I, I, I pound the pulpit, if you will, on this one. I can't pull, pound this one because it goes up and down. But that I, I really want to pound the pulpit on this, that, you know, this is something that we must hold fast to and believe. Now, it makes me think of, uh, as I was think, pondering this the other day, it makes me think of rock climbers. Um, you know, they tie themselves out off by ropes attached to these um, anchor bolts. And so uh, yesterday I picked one up. Uh, now this isn't a cl rock climber anchor bolt. I suppose it could be. Um, but I was looking at ones online. I, I was trying to go, what do they call those things? You know, I was asking Jill, uh, what do they call those things that rock climbers use? And we're going, I don't know. So I looked it up. Um, they're called anchor bolts. <laughs> so, and so, but they usually have like a little ring on, on it. And it looks very similar to this. Now, some uh, rock climbers will use ones that are kind of lodged into cracks and they have these little th things that pop out um, and hold it. Others like this, you'd almost have to take a rotor hammer with you as you're climbing a rock to, to drill it in there and hammer it in. And some may do that. I don't know. But... If, you, if you've ever used these things, I used to call them quick bolts. And drill a hole, and then you hammer in, and they won't come out. This is what they use for foundations on houses. Uh, they put the, the board on the, on, the, on the concrete, nail this in there, and it's going to hold. Your house can, you know, rest assured, hold on to these bolts or, you know, that are anchored to the concrete, to the rock. Similar to a rock climber. They're basing their life, it would be hard for me to trust this little thing in a rock with my life depending on it. I mean, but that's what they're doing. You know, a lot of these people are tied off to these things, and they usually use one, more than one. <laughs> they use several uh, that they're tied off to. But if my life depended on this bolt, I mean, like, whew, that is a, that's faith, man. <laughs> that's faith because... Um, you never want to drill too big a hole for these, just saying, <laughs> because they will slip out. You have to have the right size hole for these to go in and hammer them into. Um, but if they're used properly, you can trust upon those things. They will hold, and this is a stronghold, if you will. This is a stronghold. I am strong in my faith that I'm holding on to Jesus. There's other strongholds that are not from God. What are those? Strongholds of the devil are lies that we believe. They also become a foothold or a stronghold of the enemy. Now, again, different influences that come in, and a lot of times they're just subtle lies that we believe. Read Ephesians 4 if you want to talk about that. You want to look at that. And it says, in your anger, do not sin, do not give the devil a foothold. It's a stronghold. It's a foothold of unbelief or it's a foothold of lies that have crept in and we go, I open up the door in my soul to strongholds of the devil that has his foot in the door and I cannot shut it because guess what? I'm holding on to something that's not from God. We can hold on to things from not from God but we can also hold on to him being our rock, and I hold on to you, Lord. You're my, the gospel faith, the gospel message. I hold on to that, and I believe the truth rather than a lie. So I guess you could say the gospel of Jesus is my anchor bolt. I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. Even if I should fall or slip up, Jesus will remain, and I will not be taken out. And we do. Occasionally we do slip. I guess we're holding on to that. Thank you, God, that I did not fall so far. Thank you, God, that you're still there. If anyone did let go of the gospel, Paul said they believed in vain in verse 2. If you try another way, it's really not good. Many people are taught if you just live a good life, you'll go to heaven. And really, that's a, that's a false message. I, I dislike it when I hear 
uh, different churches of various backgrounds or ministers of various backgrounds that say that. If you just live a good life, you're going to go to heaven. That's a false message and a false hope. Eventually, essentially you're saying that salvation rests upon my own attempts at being good. Do you know what I, you get what I'm saying? My own attempts at trying to be good. It's kind of like Santa Claus. He knows if you're good or bad, you know, better watch out. You better not, you know, <laughs> it's like, that is a terrible Christmas song, by the way. Uh, <laughs> God is not a stalker like Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> he's not. He's not going to beat you up. He knows that you and I cannot save ourselves. You can never be good enough to save yourself. Because the actual definition of goodness, what is it? We sang about it today. He is good. He is good. We are not can anyone be good apart from God? And the world views goodness in all kinds of different ways. Uh, one great read, I would encourage you to pick it up. Small little book. I got this many times. It's a great witnessing tool to someone even that thinks that this need to live a good life. A book written by Andy Stanley uh, a number of years ago. A simple little book I, I recommend getting called how good is good enough? Because a lot of people that you would say and, and talk with and, and uh, you know, if I just live a good life, I'll go to heaven. I think that's where a lot of people are at. And it helps people understand what is good. And if we conclude there is such a good thing as a standard for goodness, is there a standard for goodness? It is also a very good book to give to someone who's searching in their faith because the standard is who or what is God. And he goes into this book, I won't, go, I won't spoil it for you, but just a portion in this kind of brings a good understanding of what people think because in different cultures they view goodness different ways. Different cultures, different countries, different belief systems, all view differently what goodness means. In the Islamic faith, if you go strap yourself with a bunch of bombs and you go into a crowded street and you blow yourself up, guess what they think that is? That's good. Now, if we think about that, we go, no, it's not good, it's bad. So who's right and who's wrong? Is there such a thing as a standard for goodness? The truth is yes. The answer is yes. There is a standard for goodness. It's not just my culture or your culture or my belief system or what. In, in, in reality, what God is saying is that only he is good. Only he is righteous. Man is not. It talks about that in Romans. It says throughout that in other places in the scripture, uh, no man is good, no man is righteous in and of himself. We need God. How many of you know of someone who has fallen from their faith in God? Oh, that's grievous to me. There can't be anything more painful for me to, to have that. Getting converted, you may say, is easy to do. But becoming a disciple and a follower of Jesus is a lifetime commitment. And it comes with a cost, absolutely. Holding, on, holding fast is not just a good suggestion. It is a commitment. I am dependent on this. My life depends on this. My, not only my life depends on it, my eternal life depends on it. Jesus is my anchor bolt. It's absolutely necessary. And Paul said, it's what saves us if we hold on to it. Otherwise, our belief is in vain. It's all for nothing. So in other words, never give up. Never give up on this one. Paul also assured them, he didn't make this stuff up. He received it from God. He did not receive it just from man. It wasn't last night's pizza. It was... It was from God, I assure you. 
He goes, I was the worst of sinners. I assure you, God told me this. Jesus revealed this to me, and I'm telling it to you. He wrote this also to Galatians in chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached to you was not something that I made up. That man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is what he was preaching to them. Then he received, when he received it by revelation, he said, I delivered it to you. I told you about it. It wasn't just Paul's gospel that he fabricated or something new. He preached the gospel that Jesus revealed to him. And in my devotions the other day, as I was reading in Luke chapter 12, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you that your treasure, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? It's really not hard to tell what a person loves. It's not. Um, you know, I mean, people that love their family, that's good. Uh, people that love their dog, you know, that's good. You know, a lot of those things are good. Uh, but it, you can usually tell right away. Um, it's usually what a person gives most of their time, their money, and their attention to. It's kind of like, you know someone loves Hobby Lobby. I can always tell someone who loves Hobby Lobby. Um, it's easy to tell if you love that because if, you, if I come to your house, you're going to have a hundred different sayings on your wall. You know, you're going to have all these wall hangings with different sayings. I know because I'm married to one of them. You know, it's, a, it's like all these different sayings of, you know, they're good and all these little things. On the wall. And they're cute. But we have no more wall space. I'm just saying. We don't. We're, we're, we're out of space for any more Hobby Lobby wall hangs until they go out of style and we need a new one. Wow. <laughs> That's a good one. Like, trade them in for a new one. We have Gather. We have Welcome Home. or you know, I don't know, all these other ones that you're supposed to have today. Does anyone else relate with this? Anyone? Scriptures, they have a script. Oh, <laughs> okay. They have scriptures. I mean, we all need scriptures on the wall. Um, but if we love the gospel message, it should be part of our lives in some way. It should be. And Hobby Lobby will help you, I'm sure. Because <laughs> they have lots of scriptures on the wall. Um, but it should be in our conversations. It should be uh, on our calendars. It should be in our contributions. Um, is the gospel part of our lives? Or what does consume your life? What is it that consumes your life? And a lot of us is work. You know, Work consumes my life. But at the same time, you can be about the gospel business in anything that you do. All Christians are called by God to share this good news. Every one of us. It's not just for a select group of preachers. Rather, the love of Jesus should be in and through our lives continuously. Throughout the day. Just that you can include some things. You can even quote scripture and not say this is in you know, this reference. You don't have to do that. A lot of times I just subtly throw in a scripture or word from God. Again, where it says the word of God will never come back void or empty. Uh, you can always give the word of God that it will, people just go, wow, you are so good. You're so smart. And I'm like, no, it's not me. <laughs> That's the Bible <laughs> I'm actually quoting. Rather, the love of Jesus should be in and through our lives. It could be also sharing your testimony with a family member, a friend, a coworker. Um, or it could be showing love to someone through various acts of service, um, doing something for them. It could be praying for them, asking if you could pray for them about someone. It could be giving them a hug, giving something to them, or just being there for them and maybe listening or caring for them in some way. 
It reminds me of the famous saying by St. Francis of Assisi. He was an Italian Catholic friar in Italy. And uh, he said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Um, one way he chose to share the gospel, he is known for being the first one that set up a nativity scene. And again, he used imagery to show the birth of Jesus. And so that's where we have at Christmas time nativity scenes is because of St. Francis of Assisi. Um, but showing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and using words if necessary. That's a good, a good quote. The gospel message has to be the core of who we are. It's not just a fairy tale someone made up. If it is the truth of what Jesus did, then it is no if it is not the truth, then it's no different than anything else. And it loses its meaning or its importance. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, once said, Our religion is not based upon opinions, but upon facts, if you believe them to be facts. We hear persons sometimes saying, those are your views and they are ours, whatever your views are, uh, maybe is a small matter. What are the facts of the case? And so the facts of the case are very important for us to know. You know, people will always doubt, people will always question, people will always say, you know, that's what you believe, this is what I believe. We go, okay, you have that opinion, to your, you can keep that if you want. But here's the facts of our gospel that Paul pointed out that I want to just quickly go through and remind ourselves of. A is that Jesus died on the cross. Absolutely important. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He took my place, your place, and mine upon the cross as a redeeming sacrifice for my sin. He was beaten. He was scourged beyond recognition, uh, took that pain, and he was nailed in his hands and his feet to a wooden cross for hours. And it was unimaginable suffering that the Romans would inflict upon someone uh, for their punishment in their death. And it was meant to be excruciating. And it reminds me of this important scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to become sin for you and me that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become goodness of God. Again, it's not of my goodness. It's not of my own righteousness. He became my sin. He, he became my sin. And, and, and this is where it's so important to know about the law and the sacrificial lamb and all of those things. Because all of that really is a portrayal of what Jesus did in his death and his blood, because when you sinned and you had to go to the temple and give the priest your sacrifice, you just go, okay, you know, drop it in the offering box. I'm dropping off my lamb, you know, for the offering today for, you know, or for my sacrifice and then leaving. No, you couldn't leave. Guess what you had to do? You had to put your hands on it while they went, and they killed the thing. Because it was a transmittance or a transference of my sin upon this animal as it was slaughtered. It was very graphic. It was very, oh, oh, I don't want to do that again. You know, it's like, that's terrible. But it was a, a visual demonstration of the becoming our sin. Jesus became our sin as the spotless Lamb of God so that we could be declared holy and righteous. That doesn't mean he became a sinner but our sin was transferred upon him as that sacrificial lamb. Sometimes I think we diminish or we forget what Jesus did on the cross for us. But that is also why we are regularly reminded of it as we partake of communion, for example. How bad was crucifixion? How bad was it? We get our English word for excruciating 
from the Roman saying, out of the cross. Excruciating meant, you know, that pain that they would have. It's a horrific and painful death. And yet, Hebrews 12, verse 2, this is a very interesting scripture. Looking to Jesus, the founder or author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and seated in the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that scripture does not mean that he enjoyed pain on the cross. Rather, the joy came from him knowing that his death meant the salvation and eternal life for mankind. That's how he could go to the cross and say, for the joy said before him, knowing that my death will mean that these will be saved and I will get to spend eternity with them in heaven with my father. That by his atonement they would be saved and they would be healed in his name and by his blood. As Isaiah 53 uh, talked about the prophecy, he powerfully put it, Isaiah said in verse 3 through 5, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, and yet we are considered stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's a great scripture to remember about Jesus' death and his fulfillment for you and me on the cross. When all was accomplished, when he had done all that he could do, he said, it is finished on the cross. And into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit, and he died. The word in Hebrew Jesus used was the word tetelestai, which means paid in full, or the sacrifice is accomplished. Again, if you knew a lot of the history behind this, that the priest when he had killed the sacrifice, the annual sacrifice for the, the sin of the, of the, you know, the people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, as soon as the priest had killed that sacrifice and gone into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled the blood on the atonement seat or the, the, the uh, yeah, <laughs> he would sprinkle the blood in, in the Holy of Holies, which only one time a year, all the sins of Israel were symbolically placed, you know, were, were, were sacrificed, placed on that lamb that was sacrificed and sprinkled in the Holy of Holies. And that is what the priest would come out and say to tell us die. And people would celebrate. Thank you, the... Thank you, the sacrifice has been complete. Uh, and that was the last words Jesus, one of the last words Jesus has said from the cross. Not only was he seen as the high priest saying that, but he was also at the same time the very Lamb of God that was taking that place. He was that spotless Lamb. It leads to the second fact that after he died, he was buried. <laughs> Maybe we don't always think of the burial as part of the gospel message, but the burial is, is important because, for many reasons, it's proof that he actually died. And his body was removed from the cross. It was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which is also fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 53 as well. It says he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. In Isaiah 53 verse 9. That was another fulfillment, that he would be buried. The Romans also sealed the tomb with this large stone because Jesus had said he was going to rise from the dead, or the disciples were saying, and so, you know, they put a seal on that, put guards around it, because, um, in fact, on the third day, the stone was rolled away. And Jesus, number C, or letter C, is that he rose from the dead. That is huge. We don't have a grave for our... Savior, We don't have a grave for uh, the founder, if you will, of our faith. But we have a resurrected Lord. 
each Easter. This isn't just an Easter message that we celebrate. We do celebrate it on Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. But really, this the resurrection life is an everyday thing that we celebrate, which is essential to our faith in the gospel message. If there was no resurrection, and I'll talk even more about that next week, uh, about the resurrection, and the tomb were not empty, then our faith is in vain. If the cross is payment for our sins, the empty tomb, you may say, is the receipt or the proof that God's Son made perfect or complete the payment for our sin. The payment in itself is of little good without the receipt. It is proof. And that is why the resurrection of Jesus is such a huge part of the preaching of the early church. They talked about it all the time. You read that throughout the gospel. You read that throughout the, uh, the, the New Testament. And we'll talk more about that again next week as well. But the fourth fact is that Jesus' resurrection proof was witnessed. It was witnessed. It was accounted for. It wasn't just some, some people saw him. It actually says that over 500 saw him and his resurrection. Uh, though no one actually saw the actual resurrection of Jesus from the dead, many saw the resurrection of Jesus, his glorified body. No other religion in the world can claim the same thing. But they all have graves of their leader. We have an empty tomb. He was also witnessed by the women who went to the tomb first and they saw him. Um, and Peter and John, and then all the other disciples. Then the Bible tells us, you know, that he appeared to those other 500 before he ascended into heaven. Uh, it says later on, as we read, you can read in, in Acts that what Paul talks about, that he appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and that's where he was converted that very day. And lastly, the gospel message is the message of God's love and grace. Jesus took what we deserve, you and I deserve, to give us what we don't deserve. To exchange what we have for something that we cannot afford to buy. He paid for our sins once and for all, and that's important to know that my past, my present today, and my future is all covered. But as I said earlier, we must believe it and we must receive it and hold on to that as real, as fact. The grace that saves us also changes us. How has grace changed you? From the moment we said yes to Jesus, Jesus changes us. He does. He moves us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I am no longer on a road to hell. I'm I'm on a road to eternal life in heaven with Jesus forever. It says that we are made new. We are then called children of God. We are born again. There's a lot of different words to describe it. But eternal life begins right now when we say yes to Jesus and we enter in to a relationship with God and we begin to live a new life in God's love and his grace. He changes us from glory to glory means that he's, we're becoming more like him. We're starting to hopefully look a lot more like Jesus and talk a lot more like him. It isn't because that's a requirement to come to Jesus that you just do. You just start looking and talking and acting more like Jesus. If you are required to do a bunch of stuff to gain God's approval, then you're just in a religion and not in a relationship. Hopefully we become messengers then of his good news to other people. Wherever you go, be that salt and be that light of the good news. Because this is all our commission from God that we go into the world and preach the gospel to all nations. So... I hope you can see this is of great importance. This is what you stand upon. This is what you hold on to, if you will. And this is Jesus is your anchor bolt. The gospel is your anchor bolt today. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this powerful reminder once again that we don't just ignore this part of Scripture. We don't just gloss over it and, 
and don't talk about it, that we know what this is about. And yeah, let's get on to something more important to talk about. This is important. This is of first importance, Paul said. That this is what I believe. This is what I stand upon. I hold on to it, Lord. Thank you that your gospel remains throughout all time. It does not change with the shifting of of shadows, the, the different belief systems in our world. You remain the same. Your word is true. And I believe it, God. And I pray, Father God, that we would be messengers of this important truth, that we go out and share this to others. If there's anyone here today that has yet to believe or wants to know more about what it means to believe, then this is the very essence of that good news that we talked about today, that I choose today to put my faith in Jesus. I choose to put my faith and say yes to you. I want you as my Lord and Savior, and I ask you for a cleansing from my sin. I ask you to save me, Lord, that I may be changed by you and then begin to walk this new journey, this, this new life that you give me, And it's called eternal life. And I want to walk in that eternal resurrected life today. That I may also not only be saved, but I'll maybe example to many others that need to to know the same thing. And I pray your blessing on each one, that they may be salt and light wherever they go. To talk about your goodness as we sang about today. The goodness of God that came running after me. You keep on running after us. You keep on reaching out to us. And Lord, thank you that because of your goodness, we can be called the righteousness of God. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. My name is Billy, and I'm the online media director here at Polson Foursquare. I hope that the message was encouraging to you. And if it was, consider subscribing or following us or even sharing it with a friend. If you're looking for more information, you can find that at PolsonFoursquare.org or check out our Facebook. With that, I hope that you have a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.